0: turn back to Romans 8. Yes, we are still working our way through Romans 8. Saturday, April 2nd was the Salvation Army garage sale. My mother has been involved in the, uh, Salvation Army Auxiliary for many, many years, so we've always gone to the garage sale. As you may have guessed, I go look at the books, and Teresa goes and looks at everything else. (laughs) But in the looking at everything else, she was over in the furniture department, and uh, she found a crib, and she wanted to buy the crib. Now, there was a problem because my mother was working over in the furniture department. And wanted to know why my wife wanted to buy a crib. (laughs) So my wife told her a nice half-truth. You know, at some point we will have grandbabies and we will need a crib in the house. Now it was only a half-truth because we knew, but we weren't telling anybody, that my daughter was eight weeks pregnant. So we bought a crib and we went home. That was 11 o'clock. At 3 o'clock, I'm sitting there working on my lesson for the book of Romans. My wife is working a wedding, and my daughter texts my wife. She says, I know I shouldn't text this, but I don't want to talk. She had gone to the doctor the day before, and there was no heartbeat. And I'm working on the book of Romans. And what do I immediately think about but Romans 8, 28, which is where we are headed today. Now, I would like to be able to tell you that I was like Job and said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord, but I didn't. Now, I wasn't like Job's wife who said, curse God and die. I wasn't there either. I was just kind of somewhere in the middle going, really, God? Is that what you want? Because we knew that my daughter had been struggling for years to get pregnant in the first place. And I sit there and think, is that, is that the best you can do? Two and a half years ago, I went on a business trip, and I was feeling horrible before I left on a business trip. I came back from the business trip and was feeling even more horrible. So Teresa finally decided I needed to go to the doctor, so she took me to the emergency room and as most of you know, I spent a week there dealing with the pneumonia and then the lymphoma that was discovered while they found the pneumonia. And you sit there and think, God promises that all things work together for good. How can that possibly be true? Seven years ago, the week after Thanksgiving, six or seven years ago, the week after Thanksgiving, my father finally passed away. After dealing with dementia for quite a bit of time, my father was the most outgoing person you have ever met in the world. If you didn't have the privilege of meeting him, if you met him at the gas station, you would be best friends with him by the time he left. I kid you not. We were on a boat going across the English Channel, and he started talking with a family, and four weeks later we're at their house in Switzerland having lunch. <laughs> Go figure. Why is it that my father suffered from dementia And then passed away probably earlier than he ought to have. This is my story, but everyone in this room has the exact same story that they can tell of things that occurred that you go, really? Is that the best? Is that, I mean, is that what you think is good, God? We are going to end today's lesson. With Romans 8.28. I just wanted you to know where we were going. Because we're going to talk about how we got to the point where the world is what it appears to be, which is not all things working together for good. And then we're going to discuss why this is probably the greatest promise in all of the scripture. You could argue that the promise, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved is the greatest promise, but it is probably encompassed in this, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, I'll let you in on a little secret. Starting next week, it's going to be a minefield because we're going to talk about a word in there called called. And if you want to cheat and keep reading, those who he foreknew, he also predestined, and those he predestined, he justified, but they're all connected. It is all connected to the reality that God is in control of the world in which we live. Even when we look at it and we go, really, really, why did that happen? To understand this, we really have to start though at the very beginning. So if you would, turn to Genesis chapter 1. Go to the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the earth. And separated the waters, and it was so, etc., etc., etc. And verse 10, he says, and he, God saw that it was good. He builds more stuff the next day, and he says it is good. He creates more stuff the next day, and he says it is good. And the next day, and the next day, and on the sixth day, he creates man and woman, and he says. It is very good. The created order, as created by God, was perfect. God put Adam and Eve in the garden to tend the garden. One of my children asked me the other day, how big was the garden? My contention is, is if they had not have sinned, If they had not sinned, the garden would have encompassed the entire world. They and their descendants would have taken care of, tended, cultivated, and the garden would have produced abundance that is unimaginable. We have no idea really what this garden looked like, in the sense that there were no weeds. There were no thorns on the rose bushes. This garden was perfect. C.S. Lewis in several of his um, stories talks about it being more real than the real we know today. There was just something about it that was more. And God put Adam and Eve in the garden to tend the garden and he said, It's all yours, except don't eat of that tree over there. And they ate of that tree over there. Being tempted by Satan, Eve went to the tree and ate it. And picking up in chapter 3, the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock. This is verse 14. And above all the beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Fabulous prophecy about the coming Messiah. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Wait a minute. Adam sinned and the ground got cursed. Nature itself, Nature itself was cursed because of the sin of the representative head of all of humanity... That when humanity fell, and we had this discussion back when we talked about what Adam's sin did for and to us, sometimes we don't understand that when Adam fell, the entire world fell with him. Why? Why? Hmm. Turn back to Romans chapter 8. We finished last week with, I think, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Remember the verse before? We are heirs to Christ if we share in his suffering. And we had yet another discussion about suffering. He said earlier in chapter 5, we rejoice in our suffering because our suffering produces perseverance. And our perseverance, you know the rest of the story. And we talked about how difficult that is when you are in the midst of the suffering. But then he says that if you put it on a scale, the suffering of our present time does not compare to the eternity that God is preparing for us. The balance just, I mean, it's inconceivably different. But yet we are focused on the suffering Wow! For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. All of creation is looking forward to the return of Christ. It is interesting because in one sense this is a poetic license, a personification of nature as... A person waiting, eagerly waiting for the fulfillment of something. Why do we believe in justice? Why do we believe in right or wrong? Because when we see things that are not right, there is something inside us that says that's not right. What is that thing that is that Created order in us, made in the image of God, that sees that this is not the way things are supposed to be. This is not the way the world is supposed to be. Nature does the same thing. Nature is waiting for the fulfillment so that nature can return to the way it was supposed to be. Babies are not supposed to die in the womb. Cells are not supposed to turn cancerous, but they do. At this point, I've got to throw in the statement that you've heard before because I know the way you and I think. We think just like Job's friend. Oh, something bad happened to you. You did something wrong. Am I worse than you because I spent a week in the hospital and some of you didn't? Are you worse than me because you spent months in the hospital and I only spent a week? No, no, no. What we do know is that the created order is corrupted by sin, not its sin, our sin. If you think that you can position a particular sin to a particular ailment, good for you. You're a prophet. And if you're wrong, we're going to stone you to death. (laughs) I can't do that. Every time I teach Romans 8.28, people want to come up to me and say, show me. This produces good. How? I don't believe you. And my answer is always the same. I don't have a clue. Nature itself is in need of a savior. We can have a long discussion about why God cursed nature because of man's sin. He did it And the short answer is, I don't know, but I will speculate. He did it because man needed to learn dependence upon God. You remember there was another tree in the garden that when God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, it was so they wouldn't eat of that tree, the tree of life, the tree that will allow you to live forever. God was going to teach humanity to be dependent upon God why do bad things happen so that you and I can learn to trust in God not because everything works but because God is God what did Satan say to God before he tempted Job of course Job's nice to you everything's going well But take it away from him, and he'll curse you just like everyone else. And God said, go find out. And he did. Nature itself is not what it ought to be. We can sit here and read the papers of tornadoes, hurricanes, tsunamis, earthquakes, wars, famine and we can say that was caused by human sin that was caused I don't know why that was caused it was caused because we as human beings rebelled against God all of creation is waiting waiting in the same way that we as human beings long for the world to be the way it ought to be Nature does the same thing. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? We believers. And we had a discussion several weeks ago. Sons, that's all of humanity. If you have a little bit of feminist tendencies, you wanted to say sons and daughters, it says sons, okay? But that means all of us. All of humanity... That is going to be saved is the end result that creation is waiting for. Because when that last person is saved, and you get into a whole long discussion there, when that last person is saved, God's going to say it's finished, it's done, and the world as we know it will pass away, and a new heaven and a new earth, and it will be the way God anticipated and planned it to be. This is the greatest promise in the Bible. The problem is it takes faith to believe that God's word is true. And you are just like me. You're no better than me, and you're no worse than me. You still sit there and go, really, God? How does this work together for good? Let's keep going. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Corruption. What does that mean? It means that if you leave something outside, it's going to rot. Anybody want to question that? I read a book years, 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 years ago called The Scientist in the City or something. And he was a scientist looking at just different aspects of how a city works. And the final chapter was, if you just removed all the people, how long would the city last? You know, after a certain amount of times, the windows start breaking, the birds start populating the buildings, the weeds start growing, the concrete starts cracking, it's all going to decay. Why? Well, if you're a scientist, you say it's the second law of thermodynamics. Everything tends toward disorder. Why? Because everything is suffering from corruption. When we get to heaven... Nothing's going to rot. Okay? Bondage of corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This is creation talking about what it is going to get when we, as believers, receive the freedom that God is giving us. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Huh. I've watched my wife give birth eight times. There are several people in here, two, who have seen it a few thousand more times than that. <laughs> Remember what God told Eve, in pain, you are going to deliver children. I'm sure I've told you this story before, but it's so much fun, I've got to tell it again. (laughs) On our first one, we went to our birthing classes in Dr. Boyd's office. And the last night, we're sitting there and somebody that's in the class says, I want to give, every th- give all of y'all something. And he handed out this piece of paper, which I took home and read and did not let my wife read. <laughs> the implication of it, not the implication, the stated point of it was that cha- pain in childbirth was a result of the fall. We are believers. We don't suffer from that. And if you as a woman are having pain in childbirth, it's because you don't have any faith. You can see why I didn't let my wife read it. Pain in childbirth is a result of the fall, but it's a result of nature and the corruption of nature, and it applies to all of us. You know, when you're a believer, your house doesn't stop getting dirty. Your house doesn't stop decaying. Your car doesn't wear out, doesn't stop wearing out. Why? Because all of creation is under the corruption of sin, the decay. That's just the fact of the world that we live in. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. This is interesting because part of it could lead you to believe he's thinking, okay, I'm going to be saved someday. And. Things are going to be better. But he's talking to a group of people who are believers. But there are a group of believers who are living in mortal bodies. Do you remember chapter 6 and chapter 7? Our flesh still has the corruption. Our flesh still wants to do things that violate the word, the will of God. But inwardly, we groan because we know that's not the way it's supposed to be. I don't know if you're like me. You probably are. Where you sit there and go, forget them out there. Just think about inwardly. Why did I do that? Why did I act that way? Why did I give into the flesh? Why did I respond And inwardly we groan because we know it's not the way it's supposed to be. We eagerly await the adoption, our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You ready for this? You're going to die. If the Lord does not return. And not to be too gross about this, they're going to put your body in the ground, they're going to put it in a nice, strong box, and that box is going to rot. Sorry. (laughs) The rest starts getting even more gross. There is actually a farm down somewhere in South Texas, I think it's outside of Austin, where they bury bodies, and just to see how fast they decay, it's used for forensic stuff. And it's, they bury bodies, they bury this. So, you know, oh, oh, after a week it looks like this, your body's going to rot. But God has promised that you, just like Christ, are going to have a glorified body. And then all of a sudden... All that warring with the flesh that you and I groan over every day is going to be gone. What will that look like? I can't imagine it. Like I can't imagine what the garden looked like before there were weeds and thorns. It's just going to be more real than you can imagine. And that's the promise that we have. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it in in patience. Now, this should be rather simple to understand. I hope to be standing in front of you right now. That doesn't make any sense at all. Why? Because I'm standing in front of you right now. I don't have to hope for that. It just is. If God gave us everything right now, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? But we wouldn't need hope. We wouldn't need faith And you could make the long argument we wouldn't need love, but that's a whole different discussion. Hope, hope is trust in the future based on the promises of God that God will do what God has promised to do. It is not just wishful thinking. We've had this discussion many, many times. It is not just wishful thinking. I hope the Cowboys win the Super Bowl next year. You're toast. Oh, sorry. It could happen. Go look at the British World, British Soccer League, and you can see it could happen. But that's wishful thinking. Hope is a predisposition of the will toward the future based on the promises that God has given. And what is the promise that God has given? And we know that all things work together for good to those who love him, and are called according to his purpose. It should not shock us that God has not revealed everything to us right now. I mean it is an interesting speculation and I actually take different sides of it. Wouldn't it be better if you became a believer and you died and you went to heaven right there? Let's go. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I don't know what, whatever God wants me to do. Why does God leave us around? Because he wants to reveal to the corrupted, created order that God saves. Huh. He wants to conform you into the image of his son to show the world his glory. Wow. Hmm. Huh. More on that in just a moment. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray. For as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You ever hurt so much that you knew you needed to pray? but you didn't have any idea what to pray for? Let me give you a little encouragement. The Spirit, God's Spirit, in you is praying to God, the Father, for you in ways that you and I cannot imagine. I am sitting on the bed, Working on my lesson on Romans, I get the text message on April 2nd. There is absolutely nothing I can do. Nothing I can do. I always liked the story. It was in Time Magazine or something years, years, years ago. They were interviewing this colonel, and he was a hard-nosed colonel. And they finally asked him, what is the hardest thing you've ever done? And he said, my daughter had, and he named some disease. And he said, because it was the first problem in my life that I just couldn't force my way through. Before that, if there was a problem, I could fix it. I was going to do what it took. And all of a sudden, I couldn't do that. I was lying in bed, working on my lesson, and I got the text message, and what did I do? Take a guess. I cried. I don't cry a whole lot, okay? We have had two miscarriages ourselves, and I don't actually remember crying when that occurred. I think it was because since it was my wife, I had to be, pretend to be strong, and whatever. There was something for me to do, and I had to do it. But when it was your daughter, when she's 1,200 miles away, there's nothing you can do. You just cry and you just pray. What do you pray? I don't know. God knows. We groan inwardly when the reality hits us that the world is not as the world is supposed to be. And God says, You're right. You're right. It's not the way it's supposed to be. But I have a promise for you. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, let me let you in on a little secret. This only works. You're going to hate this. This only works if you let God define what good is. Why? I know what good is. Good food. My children with no problems. Ha, like that's going to happen. Family with no issues. Work with no problem. Gas in the car the oil staying in the car, the tires not, I know what good is in my eyes. And I read this verse and I go, God, this verse isn't true. But God knows what is good. And that is that you be conformed to the image of his son. And you ready for this? If you let him, God is going to complete that work. We can cheat and keep reading. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's next week's lesson and maybe the week after that. But what's the point? He who began a good work in you is going to complete it. But we look at the test results from the oncologist and we go, God, this could not possibly be for my good. And people come to me after every class, that I talk about this and go, here, here's my problem, show me, and I don't know. But we can inwardly groan because we know things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Creation is suffering from the futility of corruption because of the sinfulness of humanity. And babies die, and cells turn cancerous, And minds leave us before they ought. Why do they work together for good? (sighs) Sometimes, as we look back through the lens of time and experience, we can see how God worked things together for good. Sometimes we can do that. Sometimes God reveals to us why these things happened. You know, I don't know why I spent a week in the hospital getting chemo and all that stuff. I do know that now when I come to this class and you all start talking about your problems, I can go, me too. So maybe that's an advantage. I don't know. I don't know. Elizabeth Elliot was married to Jim Elliot. You are familiar with Jim. He was a missionary to South America, and he and his uh, buddies were killed by the Indians. And Elizabeth Elliot went back down there to witness to the same Indians that had killed her husband. And she said throughout her life people would come up and ask her how many Indians were saved because Jim and his buddies were killed as if there was some kind of calculation that made it right. If it was ten Indians for three people, it's okay. If it was a hundred Indians, it's great. If it was one Indian, well, not so good. As if there were some calculation. And Elizabeth Elliot said, God doesn't make those calculations. God works his will. Now, We, in our arrogance, want to shake our fist at God and say why. Now, since I am a teacher, and at this point in time, I'm not pretending to be a pastor, the answer is in chapter 9. And we're going to get there in a couple of months. (laughs) And when we get there, you're going to hate it. Why? You know what the answer is? Who are you, O'Clay, to tell the potter what he can do? We, as 21st century Americans, have a very man-human-centric view of life. While we will not admit to it, While we would not stand up in this room and confess it, we have this secret belief that somehow the universe ought to revolve around me. The universe revolves around God. And God is working all things for good for you. Do we understand that? No. Can we understand it? Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. As we look back and we trust God, oh, that's why you did that. But sometimes it's just hope. It is faith that God will work all things together for good. It really is a matter of perspective, or, if you want the biblical word, faith. You know, I sit here and I envision, you know, I, I enjoy reading military history. That's my fun reading. And you read about some airborne guy on June 6th, 1944, and they toss him out of a perfectly good airplane in the middle of the night, into the middle of the bad guy's territory. Let's imagine for one moment that you're that guy that just got thrown out of the airplane, a perfectly good airplane, into the middle of the bad guy's territory, in the middle of the night. You've got a goal, right? Ideally, your goal is to win the war, but your ideal is to survive the day, okay? You and your buddies want to get through and survive the next day. But let's say that you're Dwight Eisenhower and you're in charge of all this. You have a goal too. Now, you love your troops. You want to do everything you can for the good of your troops. But you also know there's a war and you're going to have to take some of those young men and throw them against the enemy. Because you have the bigger perspective. God has a perspective that is so much larger than mine or yours or Dwight Eisenhower's. God sees what needs to be done to bring about his glory. And it's interesting. Dwight Eisenhower, the day before, pulled out a piece of paper and wrote a little note. Do you know what that note said? The invasion has failed. I am withdrawing the troops. They fought valiantly. The fault is all mine. And he stuck it in his pocket in case he needed it. Now, he didn't need it. But in case he needed it, he had it ready. What this verse tells us is that God does not have a note like that in his pocket. God is going to accomplish his purposes. Will there be blood on the ground? Yes, there'll be blood on the ground. Will there be pain? Yes, there will be pain. Will there be suffering? Yes. Will we be called to minister To those who suffer, yes. Will we be called to bear witness to those who know that the world is not the way the world is supposed to be? Yes. It is a stated fact of history, and we hate it. But when things are going well, we don't learn much. And when things are going poorly... If we listen to God, God will reveal truths to us that are unimaginable because what God wants from you is a life of faith that is dependent upon him regardless of whether babies die, cells turn cancerous, brain cells fall apart, or you pick what you're suffering with right now. And that takes faith. We know that for those who love him, all things work together for good. Does that make it easy? to? I cannot tell you enough. It's difficult. I mentioned a while ago putting on my teacher's hat because I know there's times when you have to put on your pastor's hat. Now these don't contradict each other Good theology makes good pastors, and good pastoring makes okay. But when you walk up next to someone who is suffering and in difficult times whose children are suffering, whose grandchildren are suffering, don't walk up to them and smile and say, God works all things together for good. They will slug you. And if they don't, I'll do it for them. What you do is you put your arm around them and you cry and you pray and you acknowledge that whether you see it or they see it, God does work all things together for good. There's another problem with this passage, though. This is not a universal statement. This is not for everybody. The good old-fashioned unbeliever It's not working for good. This passage is written for a particular group of people. And this group of people are distinguished by two characteristics. They love God and they are called according to his purpose. The loving God will take care of. What does that mean? What does Jesus say? If you love me, you will mm, keep my commandments. Love, as we have discussed numerous times, is not just an emotional response. There ought to be an emotional response, but love is a predisposition of the will for the good of the beloved. We love God. We do what God wants us to do. End of story. If you think it's simply sitting here having warm, toasty feelings about God and doing your own thing, you are deceived. How do we love God? By living the life of the Spirit that we talked about at the beginning of chapter 8. You cannot do it in your own strength. End of story. Where do you get that strength? Where do you get that Spirit? God gives it to you. Why does He give it to you? Because He called you according to His purpose. What does it mean to be called? It means to be chosen. And that really bothers us. And that's next week's lesson. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the promise that all the babies will be redeemed, that all the cells will be restored, that the universe will be made as you intended it to be made. And I pray, Lord, that when we don't know what to pray, that the Spirit will continue to intercede on our behalf. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.